scary movie. Well, sometimes that is better. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. Alrighty, Elmers, welcome back. We have a good one for you tonight. It's uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Tonight we got Rob and Bill in the house. What's hey up? Yo. You shouldn't be surprised by that because it's always us. It's always we. The Surprise. Three. It'd be weird if it wasn't. Yeah, it would be weird if it wasn't actually. It wouldn't be the same. We take time off when it's not the three of us, so. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, welcome back. We were gone for an uh, extra week and then more than we should have been, but. Rob's back. He's recharged. He's refreshed. He's got a fresh viewing of TCM under his belt, and we're mm -hmm. gonna we're gonna slay it tonight. Yes, sir. Episode ten. Milestone. Really? Yep. Double digits. Yeah, Bulls. we're <clears throat> dub digits. We had to celebrate with a classic. Can't believe we didn't lose interest yet. Oh, I can't <laughs> believe. Uh, you know, I think if we had more <laughs> listeners and more negative feedback, we would have quit by now. <laughs> but luckily, nobody's here to tell us how bad this is. So, well. There's one person, but we will not speak of him. Uh, he who must not be named. He who must mm -hmm. Voldemort. That's correct. Or uh, Voldemort, I believe, is how it's actually pronounced. Doesn't matter. Let's get into it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Let's get into it. Okay. So, as we mentioned last week, and to start the show, we are going to be talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre tonight. This is a 1974 classic, uh, directed by Toby Hooper, written and uh, written by Toby Hooper and Kim Hinkle. This one was starring Marilyn Burns as Sally Hardesi and Paul Partain as her brother Franklin Hardesi. And then uh, we have Gunnar Hansen as Leatherface, Jim Seidow as the cook, which is actually credited as the old man. He's not um, credited as the cook, but he's been affectionately referred to as the cook, so we will be referring to him the as the cook. Gas station guy? Yeah, the okay. proprietor of the gas station. Edwin Neal is the hitchhiker, and then uh, Joe Duggan plays Grandpa. Uh, there was a couple other NPC-type characters. Um, we'll kind of talk some plot, but really, these are the characters that you need to know for the purpose of recounting the plot. And uh, we typically kind of shy away from going into the end of the films uh, on these podcasts, but tonight... I mean, if you haven't seen this, then this is probably not the podcast for you. We're gonna we're gonna talk about this whole movie. So buckle up. Let's get into a little bit of the uh, synopsis here. Uh, real quick, fun fact before we do that: the working title of this film, while it was in production, was Head Cheese and Leatherface. I don't know if you guys knew that. I, I did not know that. I did not know that. But I I don't know which one I like better. I know which one I like Texas better. Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre was the right choice. And it was. <clears throat> it was. Mm, I did not like that chainsaw was not a, a, a compound word that bothered me greatly. 
Well, you know, I kind of whatever. wondered that as well, but we'll get to it. It was we'll the 70s. It. it was a weird time. We'll get into it. Yeah, we'll get into it. Most of this we'll be talking about the title. <laughs> yeah, most of it. Um, another quick uh, little fun fact to keep in mind while we were recounting this is Toby Hooper was uh, hoping for a PG rating on this movie. I don't know if you guys knew that. I learned that and it, 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 hilarious if you've seen the movie, if you think that that's going to end up PG. Uh, if this movie came out 20 years ago, it probably would have been PG-13. That's actually... Like, I, not to shit all over that, but that's actually very much incorrect. The <laughs> MPAA got way more strict, actually, going into the 80s about the ratings that they would hand out. And probably the only reason why this one um, would have... 20 years ago. Yeah. It's if, 2000. Right. And I'm saying, like, from that time on, it's been more strict. There's, like, no sex in this movie. There is no sex and no nudity, actually, in this movie. That's what I'm saying. But like, it would be PG-13. Violence, yeah, but they would have had to use, like, green blood and weird shit like that. We'll get into it. We will get into <laughs> it. Um, so this movie, as a result of attempting to get a PG-13 rating, um, most of the violence is actually kept off screen, and a lot of it is implied. Um, despite this, the film has a massive reputation of being excessively violent. Um, I kind of attribute some of that more to the overall feel. Like, this movie is an exercise in tension, um, and a lot of it is unsettling. But they do paint a graphic and violent backdrop immediately in the film. Um, so let's jump into it. Sally Hardessy and her paraplegic brother Franklin, along with three other friends, visit the grave of the Hardessy's grandfather to investigate reports of a grave robbing. Afterwards, they decide to visit the old Hardesty family ha homestead. Along the way, they pick up a hitchhiker. The hitchhiker talks about his family who worked in the old slaughterhouse and eventually borrows Franklin's pocket knife and cuts himself, then takes a single Polaroid picture of Franklin for which he demands money. When the group refuses to pay, he burns the photo and slashes Franklin's arm with a straight rager. The group forces him out of the van, and they drive on. They stop at the gas station to refill, refill the vehicle, but the proprietor tells them the pumps are empty. They continue toward the homestead, intending to return to the gas station once they've received the fuel delivery. When they arrive, Franklin tells Kirk and Pam about a local swimming hole, and the couple go out to find it. They stumble upon a nearby house, and Kirk calls out for the gas, hoping maybe somebody at the house could help him. Entering through an unlocked door, he disappears while Pam waits outside. Well, at that time, Leatherface, a large mute man wearing a mask made of human skin, suddenly appears and kills Kirk with a hammer. Pam soon enters the house after to find Kirk, and sees a room full of furniture made from human bones. As she attempts to flee, Leatherface catches her and impales her on a meat hook, making her watch in her dying breath as she, he butchers Kirk with a chainsaw. Another one of the group, Jerry, heads out to look for Pam and Kirk at sunset after they fail to return, sees the house, and finds Pam still alive inside of a freezer. Before he can react to this, Leather also appears and, Leatherface also appears and kills him. Uh, darkness is now falling, and Sally and Franklin have decided to set out to find their friends. Now three of their friends are missing. As they near the neighboring house, they call out. Leatherface lunges out of the darkness and kills Franklin with a chainsaw. Sally runs away towards the house and uh, enters it, goes upstairs, and finds the desiccated remains of an elderly couple upstairs. She escapes from Leatherface by jumping through a second-story window after he chases her. She flees again to the gas station, 
to find the proprietor to seek help. He offers her some help, but then he ties her up, gags her, beats her with a broom, and forces her into the truck, where he then drives to the, the house, arriving at the same time as the hitchhiker. This is now revealed as Leatherface's family. The men torment and the bound and gagged Sally while Leatherface serves dinner. Leatherface and the hitchhiker bring down one of the desiccated bodies from upstairs. It turns out that this is Grandpa. He is revealed to be alive and is actually feeding off of the blood of Sally's finger when after they cut her. They decide that Grandpa, the best killer in the old slaughterhouse, should kill Sally. He tries to hit her with a hammer, but is too weak, and the ensuing struggle, she breaks free, leaps through a window, and flees down the road. Leatherface and the hitchhiker give chase, but the hitchhiker is ran over and killed by a passing semi-truck. Leatherface attacks the truck with a chainsaw, and when the driver stops to help, he knocks Leatherface down with a pipe wrench, causing the chainsaw to cut his leg. The driver flees. Sally escapes in the back of a passing pickup. Leatherface maniacally flails his chainsaw in anger as we get to the end scene. Uh, I went through that kind of quick, and I did cover all of it. We'll get more in depth. But this plot is simple. It does come quick. Um, the three other characters, Kirk, Pam, Jerry, not important. Um, this... I mean, that's the backdrop, and I hope everybody's familiar with this movie. We're really going to dive into the nuts and bolts of this thing now. Um, but go ahead, guys. I mean, let's open it up. Um, well, I mean, just starting from the very beginning, um, we get that little piece of narration at the beginning, which I feel like I usually don't like, but it's done really well here. Um, so it's done by John Larroquette, which just another interesting little fact is apparently he was paid with a joint, and that's what he got. So he was like, hey, you want to help out and do this? He, he was also unknown at this time. Um, and yeah. he went on to like star in Night Court and the John Larroquette show. And yeah. he's been in a handful of other things. He's probably the most famous non-genre actor to come out of this movie. And he doesn't appear on screen at all. But he right. does open uh, the movie by reading that little crawl, which yeah. is it's, and terribly effective. I, yeah, I like it a lot. I mean, his voice is great for it. And then... Right after we get that, we get the flashing light from the photography mm -hmm. um, at the crime scene that is the result of the rest of the movie. And just those sounds are great. Oh, it's the, so unsettling, that the, shutter. The, I know, I'm, I'm not going to try to make the sound effect. If one of you wants to, go ahead. But <laughs> <laughs> it's yes, that's, No, it's, it's like a way. <laughs> um, no, it's like... Uh, no, okay. Is that a rooster? <laughs> what are Neither you, what of are you, those. <laughs> what is that? It's a combination of those two, folks. It's Watch a rooster flashbulb camera. Um, but I mean, the the sound effect for that is great, and you kind of you're hearing you're hearing the camera go off, and you're getting really quick little shots of of like fucked up bodies and stuff. So, I, very strong opening. I will say, yeah, the very strong opening. Um, and this is probably gonna go against y'all's opinion, but I I think the first half of the movie is the strongest part. I actually tend to agree with that. Uh, I disagree with that, but it's just it's there's so much build because like you have that opening crawl um, and the narration, and then like kind of it's like presented like evidence photos, and then you have mm -hmm. the creepy like radio um, news report, yep. and it all seems and feels very real. The advertising and marketing campaign leading up to the film was presenting this as real, um, and it's it's disturbing and unsettling as i've mentioned but then it like the first bit of the movie after like the texas chainsaw massacre title screen rolls mm -hmm. down um is the scene of the robbed grave like the vandalized and robbed graveyard and you have like these two corpses propped up 
um, wet. Yes, and that's probably honestly some of the most like intimate uh, macabre portrayed in the movie. Like it's very. It's the gra- most unsettling. It's the yeah. most well done. Yeah, I mean, this is not a. This movie had a tiny budget. I could tell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll get into it, but I really think that that's why this movie shines. Uh, yeah. Is its small budget, and uh, there got some fun facts that we can talk about that later. Yeah. But we're, we're, what else were you gonna say on that, Bill? Um, I mean, that was, that was pretty much it for the intro. I just, um, I just love how how his voice sounded doing that, and and it sounds like something that would be so corny, like a little intro of a horror movie like that would just set you off immediately. Um, but it didn't at all. And then we get, and then we get the hitchhiker coming up, um, pretty quick, which this is great. I guess it was cool to like pick up hitchhikers in the seventies, but even if it was, I mean, one look at this guy, they, they we'll say before stopping, the next he one. looks weird. Yeah. They talk about how like scary and weird he looks. He looks um, like James Franco. He looks like greasy, no, stringy haired James Franco. Kind of. I see that. He wishes James Franco is gorgeous. Okay, he looks like James Franco with a birthmark. No, he does not. He kind of does. Right? He elements does. Of I don't it, get that, that but James Franco for sure. But they also they make the um the comment he'll asphyxiate if he stays out in this heat. You know, like they were trying to do the right <laughs> thing uh, by picking up this guy. It's just a weird turn of phrase. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that he'll die strange. of heat exhaustion. He'll asphyxiate. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Sure. Not that's something kind of a normal person would say. And if you really want to get technical. <laughs> uh, also, I just want to point out that the intro, the like yellow text, Star Wars-y stuff, yeah. she says, straight up says Sally and her invalid brother, because this is the 70s. Really? And you, was, uh, you, you know, could just call disabled people invalids. Jeez. I honestly was probably like writing something down, or like obviously because it was like narrated, or I probably wasn't. I do not remember that. Yeah. No, they mentioned it a couple times. Um, and... Weirdly, I mean, it, it, it's a low budget. I didn't expect them to pick someone who's actually disabled, like paraplegic, to play that role. Um, but uh, um, what's his name? The brother, uh, Franklin. Franklin. Uh, he's clearly not invalid. Like he rolls down, his legs are moving. He's like pretty robust. He's a he's a heavy guy. Um, yeah, I think I they mention no atrophy. I, I think they mention at a point that he, as a kid, like was not disabled. He he had not had an accident yet because they're talking about going back to the uh, swimming hole and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. But uh, even then, just and it's like a like an extra like uh, hospital wheelchair. It's not like he. Right. Yeah, anyway, didn't matter. But it's also 1974. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's an invalid. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, also, the new, the news blurb through the intro mm-hmm. I liked a lot because you you get pieces when the the score isn't like overshadowing it, and uh, I, it was clear to me at least that that a lot of this movie, the uh, quote unquote, based on a true story, is pulling from the the Ed Gein murders, right? Uh, yeah, well, it was Ed Gein, but also another gentleman uh, from Houston who had this was big news around Texas in the time he was uh, convicted in 1974, arrested in 73, which would have been the time this movie was in production mm-hmm. and uh, later released in 74. Uh, Elmer Wayne Henley was Elmer. A, yeah, Elmer. <laughs> <laughs> he was a um, he was a young man. I think he was about 19 years old when he was committing his crimes. He was so related to Don Henley of the Eagles. Um. No, but he was t- he was um, lured into like a Houston sex trafficking ring and ended up um, kind of playing hand and helping recruit young boys for the sex trafficking ring before um, 
ultimately killing his captors and some other people. He was a couple of his murders were dismissed as like self-defense, but I think they he was tried for the murders of 28 uh, young men and Whoa. ended up uh, being convicted on eight of those murders. That's I believe. A lot of murders. Yeah, uh, this was big news in Texas around the time. Um, but yeah, but obviously like the well, there's a blurb where they talk about murders in Gary, Indiana, which I think is the area that Ed Gein was from. And then there's a lot it's from of like Plainfield, Wisconsin. Okay, yeah, which is I mean, where the director's from, right? Or like grew up around that area. Toby Hooper? Mm-hmm. Oh, he's from Austin. He's a graduate oh, okay. of the University of Texas. Um, and he, this was actually a project that he had started with uh, some classmates. Uh, most of the people in this movie were actually uh, members of the drama club and, uh, I, at UT. I will say, and probably because the budget was so low, that the, those were real Texas accents, which oh, is, yeah. which oh, is yeah, for not sure. common in a, in a low-budget mm-hmm. movie like this. Not that it's like rare, but it's just like people would rather pick people they already know and, right. and can pay. Um, yeah, but the Ed Gein influence obviously was like... Digging up bodies, disinterring corpses, yeah, like I was making, your, uh, making weird sculptures. Keeping the, per, uh, I guess, the parental figure like alive or like trying to uh, continuously reanimate them with like blood and f- fresh flesh. And then... Yeah, like, oh, the, the, the Gein was like unhealthily obsessed with his mother. Well, he, he'd envision her like kind of like a um, Norman Bates kind of style yeah. where she would give him you know, orders and dictate, but, but he actually didn't kill anybody. He just grave robbed and he made like, killed, really two killed two people. people. Oh, did he? Yeah. Okay. He started off as a grave robber because he was trying to like preserve his mother in the downstairs portion of that. Right. Making house. nipple belts and stuff. Yeah. He was doing that, but that as was more do. like passion project. What he was really doing was, uh, taking like, uh, limbs and sewing them like the fresh skin onto his mother. Cause she was rotting. He was trying to preserve hers. And mm-hmm. so he was like, He's not a very educated man, and obviously they've uh, determined that he had some... uh, (laughs) Right, and they determined that he was probably, like, autistic, if not even, like, mentally retarded. But he was a, like... Uh, his livelihood was the farm and like he knew how to tan hides and things of that yeah. nature. He knew how to sew. So he would tan um, human flesh and mm-hmm. like sew it onto Web his mother and shit. And, stuff. and mm-hmm. eventually that would even turn and spoil because I mean he knew how to do it but it wasn't the best. So he started to get the idea that he needed fresh meat. Um, and then he actually did commit two murders. Um, typical serial killer shit where he was trying to like mimic the object of his affection through his victims. So these were Elderly women, because he wanted skin that was comparable to that of his mother's and all that stuff. Thin, papery, tissue paper right. women's skin. Um, so, yeah, he's a sick, horrible, morbid motherfucker who ended the lives of a couple of women and gra- robbed many graves. He was also a cannibal. But, like, some of the things that uh, were from his trial that influenced the movie was, like, all of the, like, bone furniture and stuff like that. Like, yeah. That is another thing that Clearly. they found in his house when they uh, arrested him. Anyway. We could go on about Ed Gain all day, mm-hmm. or I could. Um, it, I didn't actually look too much into the background of this, but there's a lot of, I feel like, social commentary about not only like meat consumption and, and slaughterhouses, but also about oil. Like It seems like it, you know they don't have any oil at the gas station. I know it's yeah. probably a ploy, but it was like the 70s during like the energy crisis under Carter, right? Carter was later. This would have been uh, during like Watergate, but also there was the 1973 oil crisis, and um, there was a there's a lot going on here because you have like you have like the distrust in government and like the propaganda of, of like perpetuating a, a false narrative, which the whole movie kind of uh, 
operates under, right? And I, I mean, I want to give some nod to the genius of Toby Hooper here. This is a solid 35 years, like 30, 35 years, bef- no, excuse me, 25 years before um, Blair Witch Project, mm-hmm. which kind of capitalized, like, or like, I guess, ignited the found footage. And while this was definitely not presented as found footage, there were there were a lot of people that were referring to this at the time as like a docudrama, um, which is mm. crazy to I, me. I to guess think. people like what? ate that hook, line, sinker or the intro well, yeah, about how it's mean, based on a true story where it's definitely not. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, you know, without the internet and people just like mostly not seeing the movie because it's banned, barely like it's low budget, it's banned, it's not super accessible, it's not put out by a major production company you start hearing the lore and it just shit fucking spreads like wildfire people just start believing it more so than investigating it i will say that for my own opinion that the idea of this film is much more terrifying than the actual watching of it and i was it's been no at least a decade since i saw this flick and all i really remembered from it was a bunch of like teenagers or 20 somethings that come across a farmhouse and get murdered and that's kind of all I remembered from it. And then I watched it, and um, it, I, it was kind of like Human Centipede. I was expecting it to be way more gory and like way more graphic. Yeah. And it's it's the '70s, you know. Um, you and, and it was low budget, so a lot of the kills are like you said implied and not necessarily off screen. But he's also going after that PG rating. Yeah. Yeah. Why I don't understand. He wanted people uh, to see this film. Yeah. But uh, I feel like this film falls into. Um, a weird category of classic, something you are almost required watching for horror. And like Halloween, a, a, a good film for the time and iconic and and tra- and trailblazing, but it does not stand up to modern film in my personal opinion, and I really wasn't that crazy about it. Man, I can't wow. wait to fucking shit all over you. <laughs> I I'm actually I really happy to because it. I was unfortunate or I was. Uh, you are unfortunate. Uh, yeah, because I was dreading the unfortunate possibility that this would be a boring podcast because all three of us would just say that we like the movie. And I think kind of sometimes the highlights is our disagreements and our banter. Like if we were all just sitting here going, "Oh yeah," I'm sucking off the tea to fucking mm-hmm. Toby Hooper and saying that this is a great movie, it might get boring. But man, you are so fucking wrong. I am so. <laughs> uh, like, I uh, have oh. a lot of shit to throw. I can't <laughs> wait for it. Well, should we uh, jump in and, and try to keep? It a tiny bit in order. Yeah. So no. let's see. Okay. <laughs> just go. Just whatever you think. Like I said, if you're listening to this well, and you're I not familiar gonna, with the movie, like yeah, I, yeah. No, okay. I was just gonna wanted to go back to where we kind of touched on um, the uh, like it f- almost felt like an anti meat film because there is like lots of shots of gross cows in cages and it's like w- one of the girls in the I think it's Pam is like. Pretty, pretty. I don't know if she's vegetarian. But she's talking about how like it's ridiculous yeah. that we kill kill animals for meat. She's like and the super in tune astrology oh chick. God, like, fucking astrology, yeah, knew, Jesus I, yeah. Christ. There's always one. We'll get into it. Um, <laughs> beyond that, uh, everyone else is like okay with it until the hitchhiker starts talking about like making head cheese, and then they're all fucking turned off about it because no one wants to eat like not meat meat. Like they want a steak or um, a tenderloin. But if you're talking about face meat and jowls, like that's gross. That's gross. Yeah. Even though barbacoa is delicious. Yeah, and honestly, head cheese is pretty good. Yeah, head cheese is good. Yeah. Um, I, I prefer barbacoa like fucking cheeks. Yes, give Cheek, me that. Like animal face is arguably the most delicious. There's part only of two of them, man. You get a whole bunch of steaks out of a side of beef, but there's only two cheeks. So yeah, well, I'm like a lingua. Is and also dude, I, really yeah, he's solid. like, oh, except for the tongue. I'm like, well, the tongue's the best part. Well, you're gonna you're gonna 
that's a separate meal in itself. You're not well, gonna waste the tongue in a fucking head cheese. You're gonna make lengua out of that. Yeah, that's like a separate mm-hmm. thing. That's like a separate. You thing. You gotta scrape off taste buds. You gotta do a whole different. It's process. a whole thing. So what I will say real quick about this hitchhiker scene is, to me, this was like one of the most disturbing scenes when I was younger, and I just remember thinking like how like God, he's so gross. Yes, but like when I was watching it this time, and you guys call me crazy, but like you're crazy. He. <sighs> He was much more complex in this viewing than I remember him being in my childhood in this opening scene. Because what I was thinking the whole time I was watching this um, was like, man, this this young man is clearly like a product of abuse. Like he is dirty and unkempt and he's like socially inept and he is like hyper interested in whatever his fascinations are. And I can't help but think, like, honestly, he seems, and hear me out, he seems rather well-intentioned, albeit completely off-base, until, like, obviously he causes physical harm to Franklin. But it's almost like a reaction to, like, an abuse. Like, he feels so dejected by his newfound peer group and them just being repulsed by him and not accepting his, like, Polaroid picture. Like, honestly... I know it sounds crazy, but I had like moments of sympathy for this character in the opening scene, but that quickly goes out the window when he like starts in like inflicting violence and pain and suffering on the group and then gets out of the van and he's kicking it and having his fit and marking it with blood. And it's clear that it's like, Oh, well he walks a fine line and uh, he spends most of his time off the deep end. But like to me, that little instance was much, much, much more complex than I remember. Because like, what you think about when you think about the hitchhiker in this movie is he's got, like, animal pouches and street razors and, like, Polaroids of slaughtered animals. And he's like, got, like, a, I don't know if it's dried blood or a birthmark or whatever. And he's describing, yeah. like, horrible, like, uh, slaughtering of animals. Well, they died like, better when you used the sledge. Well, that's another <laughs> theme in this movie. I feel like there's a whole juxtaposition of, like, the blue-collar rural American way that is quickly going by the wayside. And then you have these young, seemingly, like, educated children or kids coming out of, uh, you know, they're, like, maybe not scholars, but scholarly. They're embracing, like, this new... What uh, what was the term for, like, English workers that were put out of work from the loom or, like, the automatic loom being built? Um, Luddites? So, yeah, he's a Luddite. He, he's, he's mad that... Um, uh, the sledgehammer has gone out of fashion because it killed Jobs, and now the air gun or pneumatic gun has like become more commonplace. And that's kind of his whole issue against using it. It's not that it's a better kill; it's that it put out people out of jobs, and so it's worse right. for it. But I and I I totally understand where you're coming from with the complexity, and you've seen this film um, too many times. But uh, I mean, I've seen it twice. Uh, and Ever? Yes. Oh wow. Yes, I've only seen it twice, and really didn't remember anything from the first watching. I found it uh, actually pretty offensive as far as an autistic depiction. I would have preferred if he was just kind of a little odd or strange, like a, kind of an obsession with murder and and slaughtering and everything. And the fact that he's like giggling all the time and is self-harming and doesn't get social cues, like it's not totally off base, but it feels very 70s, just like the invalid stuff and where they're, you know, it, it, it didn't do anything for me. For me, I... I- I thought of him more as I mean I do get how you could kind of have some sympathy for him like whatever in like the scenarios that you describe but to me 
it was it was all with intent. I kind of would see him as he like saw the van coming and he's like, "Oh, these people are going to be out of town. I'm going to see if I can get them to pick me up and I'm going to like kind of fuck with them and like see how far far I can push it." I didn't I see what you mean too, but I kind I just took him as as you know like He's been raised in, in this family that like like murders people, and he has no yeah, understanding of the outside bumpkin. world. Yeah. Like I don't, I, I never didn't really think got of the him as being, of him being autistic. Myself, yeah, me me neither. Yeah, I guess yeah, that's that's what I'm getting well, at. I thought more it was more isolated as if, and like ex- a product of abuse. He cuts, exactly, he cuts yeah. himself, and then like everyone's giving him weird looks, and he doesn't seem to really get it. Well, I think he's right because there's, there's, his family there's, fucking uh, slaughters people with chainsaws yeah, and feeds that. grandpa blood. But like, like this but is like, commonplace. Like this guy doesn't leave the house much. Well, he, he does leave the house because he's hitchhiking down the road. Well, yeah, but he got uh, in much. trouble. But he gets in a lot of trouble if you remember too later that like why the fuck were you out there? Like blah blah blah. So he's like not supposed to be doing shit like that either. Mm. I just took it as he wanted to like scare those people and he kind of knew he's like oh they'll get there come up and you know i mean it's a plot device but but exactly, yeah, I, yeah i get what you're saying like the character yeah i get that yeah um but yeah his his like glee and then like he which it's a weird juxtaposition between and i know that he has like polaroids of the slaughtered cows and everything like that but he's wearing like a squirrel uh, purse like kind of thing, type of thing and he's yeah. like dirty and everything and then he pulls out like a really nice polaroid camera for 1973 well, I would assume that that's n- he didn't purchase that. Oh, if okay. I had to guess. Okay. Well, he's had it for a while because he's definitely taken pictures of the slaughterhouse. Yeah, he probably got it from that thing another clean body book. And also, it like he's got a flash. He's got he's got film. Um, I, I don't know. It it was it it seemed odd to me the juxtaposition between him being like weird country bumpkin, whatever, abused by his whole family for his entire life, and growing up in rural Texas. 60 miles northwest of Austin and then having like a really nice camera. 60 miles is a long way when, you know, is it? you can't drive and you are <laughs> isolated I, on a farm. Well, is but like uh, the the gas station tenant can drive. He's got a truck, right? Those are different characters. But yeah, I mean, I like I am saying I don't think they're I don't going to allow autistic people together. to like get Whoa. driver's license back in the 70s. Because you, you you couldn't even a woman couldn't even get a credit card unless she had her husband or father's approval, and I think this is maybe five years after like miscegenation laws were repealed, uh, state like countrywide, like this is not a progressive time. No, and I think that there is a lot of commentary on that in this film, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And I still don't think that he's autistic. So. Okay, we'll so agree to disagree. Anyways. <laughs> They get uh, they get some barbecue, right? They get they get a tiny brown <laughs> bag of barbecue for five people, <laughs> and then well, they were kind of like they were kinda almost forced into. Getting it was that. like they a courtesy. Kinda, they didn't really seem like they were that. And then Franklin like Franklin yeah. has a no. Head. He has one sausage <laughs> in his mouth, like a cigar, for about ten minutes and <laughs> yeah. spits it out. Yeah, Franklin. Okay, is Franklin the most hated handicapped character in cinema history? No. Definitely in this film, though. <laughs> More so than Grandpa. And the hitchhiker, who's apparently and autistic. The hitchh- well, I mean, I don't think he's a really disabled. He's autistic. He's just, you know, neurodivergent. But if you want to be bigoted about it, you can. Um, really what I'm getting into. <laughs> and, and also, they have, like, a guy who's kind of not all there, who's, like, washing the windows and, like, has to be, like, tapped and stuff to... 
you know, the guy who looks like discount red-haired Karl Rove. <laughs> That's good. He did have a lot of, like, upper head. I don't even know where it was forehead Six and then head. turned in the crown. But, Six like, <laughs> yeah, he had a large cranium. I like how they – I did like how they're like, we should have asked if there was another gas station. Like, they, they did put that in there. Um, and I'm like, oh, well, there probably isn't one because he didn't mention Don't you think it. he would have, you know, suggested it? Yeah, exactly. And if the fuel delivery is coming here, don't you think they're fueling up everywhere? You know, type yeah, of thing? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, the energy crisis, oil crisis. Right. Right. I mean, it like – I think they mentioned stuff about the the um, uh, Saudi Arabia and uh, – the co- like whatever the Gulf of Oman and stuff like as far as the oil and everything, but clearly that's a plot device to keep them to stick around. It's like oh you know hang out get some barbecue. Wasn't there like an explosion at the Texaco refinery not far down like the way too? I think there was mention of that. Uh, probably there, there's a lot of stuff that's spursed out, spursed out, sparsed out um, through the kind of like radio news that you get in pieces both in the intro and also while they're in the van driving around. Yeah. Also, no one is wearing a seatbelt in that van. I don't think there are seatbelts. Yeah, it's a um, big van in 1974, Yeah, but it's Unsaved Any Speed in came Texas. out in like 1966, and it wasn't like required by law, but the seatbelts were things. Have you then. seen the hitchhiker they picked up? They are not worried about their safety. They're not worried about most things. <laughs> um, they're really just worried about getting to whatever Franklin and Sally's grandfather's house. Yeah. yeah, and I don't. I mean, I get that they're like there to check on the grave robbing situation because it's part of the intro. Is like, oh, there's a massive grave robbing, and all these people are trying to find out if their family's been disinterred and everything like that. Um, but uh, it's such a weird thing for them to just like go out on a drive. It's such a '70s thing. Like, oh, well, let's just go for a weekend drive. This movie is from a different time, and I will say that it definitely. Even though there's been remakes with, and I like the remake actually quite a bit. I think it's good, but it's a different film, and I don't think you could make this film ever again for many reasons. Let's hope not. Wow, really? Ouch! I I, I feel w- like you're just baiting me. I don't feel like your feelings no, are no. that strong. <laughs> I, I I we'll get into it. Um, I I think the strongest part of this film really is the cinematography. I loved the cinematography. Oh, it's so good. Toby mm. Hooper is so underappreciated. There are a lot of, um, especially in the first like 30, 40 minutes where the setup's happening, there's a lot of shots that are coming from like kind of, not a super low angle, but kind of a lower oh, yeah. angle. There's a lot of like panning shots. Um, there's a shot with the two girls that are uh, trying to get like a Coca-Cola at the gas station and it's like right on her butt and then you can see a pretty distinctive camel toe in those white pants bell bottoms um, <laughs> yes. shout out to marilyn burns and sally just they were great she was great uh but yeah, the cinematography throughout the whole and also i, I don't want to skip too far ahead but the dinner scene there's a lot of like dutch angles and kind of close-ups on uh sally's eye that i, oh, I really man, enjoyed so i mean that's um, like one one of if not the best like scenes in horror in wow. my opinion is which is why when you were first like oh i think the beginning is stronger and i was like i disagree because i literally think the dinner scene like the last 25 30 minutes whatever is one of the just best things i ever but did i did not care for it i like the <laughs> angles of it i thought that overall like the, the wig that Leatherface is wearing is dumb. Oh, Grandpa dude, is dumb. Is he a mummy sense. or a vampire no, or a drogger? There's three different, there's three different uh, like, masks present in the movie. Um, and the scene at dinner, dude, it's such an interesting thing. It's such a like a American gothic like play on rural America because you have like 
you have the cook played by Jim Seda, who's right. like the paternal figure, and the then wooden actor, whatever you want to call him, dude. But like, listen to I'm dropping some knowledge on you right now, and you could uh, you could benefit from listening. <laughs> and then you have Leatherface, who is like dressed up and has the wig and the makeup on, kind of playing the role of like the subservient uh, woman in the relationship. You have the young hitchhiker who's like the rebellious teen, and then you have like the patriarch of um, you know grandpa at the dinner table, and it's kind of they're all like sitting down at a table to eat and it's very much like a parallel macabre universe of what would otherwise be commonplace in that time and it's so unsettling to see the torment and the trauma that sally's going through and those shots and cuts and edits of her eyes and Mm. the like the bones and the the skin stretched over the lampshades and the horrible food that's in front of her like, Honestly, that looked like a traditional Texas barbecue plate. I saw white bread. I saw pickles. There might have been sliced onions. I'm not sure. It was like a quick flash kind of away from a yeah, plate. You know that that ain't pork. You know that ain't beef. Well, baby. it's long pig, but <laughs> same thing. Um, it, uh, actually, the, might be long friend, too. I, I liked I liked the, like, again, I liked the angles. I liked her close up on the eyes. But um, after the whole runaround until they get to the, the dinner scene, I was so tired of hearing her scream. That, oh, it's one of the best um, dude, parts of this movie. She's the greatest scream in the history of horror cinema. Her screams okay. are bone-chilling. Okay. They're real. God, I okay, want okay, to yeah. okay, 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 okay. Do you have a lot of background oh, on the dinner scene? Because so I do, too. Let me, let me okay, just say I think thing. we're probably thinking the same shit. Let me just say one thing. When they All get right. Grandpa down, who looks ridiculous, and they get him to like kill, kill her, I was laughing out loud at him dropping the hammer like five times that was ridiculous it was comical i can see why because i feel like it does walk a very especially describing it it as a very fine line of being extremely unsettling and really goofy and for me it's very unsettling unsettling and that's because 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 of um oh fuck is that Marilyn Burns still. Yeah, Marilyn the, um, Burns. Is her Sally. performance, like oh, man, she, she's so good. Like, and I mean, I made a specific note about like the camera angles, like looking up too, because it very much feels like a snuff film at time, as in, like, the criminal or whatever, just like set down the camera somewhere at like a shitty angle, and then you saw him doing all this like fucked up shit, like a snuff film would be, <laughs> which I got that feel from it too, which I really liked, but. Yeah, I just uh, I, I think her. Me, okay. I I think that by the time but, that they get Grandpa down, for me, it yeah. had passed from a horror movie into slapstick. Fair enough. There are but literally slapstick with a broom or a Billy Club. Like he's beating. Yeah, them. I mean, yeah. there there are moments of that grandfather scene that I could say I won't argue with your points, but I think that it's because he can also terrifying. Honestly, this decrepit old man being fed blood to like prolong or like rejuvenate himself and the idea that they're just I don't know man there's something about the idea of a young woman being isolated knowing that the her friends have all died and like she is overwhelmed and outnumbered and overmatched by Leatherface who is also one of the first times ever in like horror cinema where it's been a hulking, brutish, like, 
powerhouse. Not like some sophisticated sly Norman Bates or some yeah. slinky, um, I don't know, uh, 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 Bella Lugosi or okay. whatever. Like he is huge. All man is like Gunnar Hansen is like six five, three hundred plus pounds. And he was wearing lift boots too. Yeah, dude, oh, he's he really? yeah, he's I, monster. Two points. I I agree with you. And actually, I wrote in my notes that um, I don't. Did you guys see Ten Cloverfield Lane? I yeah. didn't see Ten Cloverfield Lane. Oh, man, it's so good. Um, it doesn't have much to do with the Cloverfield movie, but it's fantastic and it's terrifying because uh, who's who's the uh, the main antagonist? What's his name? Uh, John Goodman. Act? John Goodman. John Goodman is horrifying because yeah. they're stuck in a small space and he's big and he's aggressive and, and he's an amazing actor and, too. And he's an amazing Which actor. Is a huge part. And and it's a and it's and she's really small and that and part of that is right. that like it's the physical aspect of like there is no getting away. He he picks her up, in, you know, before sundown and everything, and just carries Pam away. You know, after she comes into the house and is looking for even um, the men. right, uh, even the men. What's his name? Kirk and Jerry Kirk. had no, no chance. No, 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 no. But they were more surprised. But when when she's running out and 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 he just like on the porch of the yeah, house. like that that was freaky. And I and I, yeah. I I totally agree with that. However, he's wearing a short sleeve button up shirt and a tie over his um, butcher's apron, and he kind of has a bus driver look to him. Uh, yeah, man, I think that that adds to the terror for me, to be honest. And I'm just a little surprised about this. And I know, I knew going into this, and I apologize to the Elmers who are tired of my voice and to my co-host for just rambling. But like, I got a tangent here, okay? And I really thought it's hard for me to nail down exactly what you love in horror, unless it's just like super sexy, sexy Chris Sarandon and. Like, <laughs> Vampires. I okay. mean, well, there are always constants, so yes. we okay. can get but past me, that. And and soft spots. For me, one thing that this movie has, and the, okay, so this is what I was saying: the genius of this film to me is that it's low budget, and like some of its shortcomings were, oh, man, it's it's its strengths. This film is so decidedly anti-Giallo, and like I thought that that would strike a chord with you because it's not about these vibrant colors and these pretty shots and these serene locations. Well, there are and stuff. a lot of pretty shots. There but are, mm-hmm. Yes, but it, it, I, but that's not like the only, it's not all sizzle, no steak, this movie. Okay. So yeah, um, real quick, like the dolly shot off of when uh, it's following Pam from the swinging bench when she goes into the house to look for Kirk is like one mm-hmm. of the most iconic and beautiful shots. And they actually did a good job recreating that with Jessica Beale's character yeah, in the remake. I that. Like, I mean this, it, it's greatly, it, the film is edited so well um, for everybody out there who says it's just like shaky can and violence. I would say that it's like almost neither of those things. The movie is shot really well. The cinematography is great. That being said, it's all that 16 millimeter film. It's rough. It's gritty. It's raw. There's no bright colors. No art house shots. Um, it's and a lot of natural light. If 50 years later, I don't think the film suffers from the qualities. And I know that you disagree with that, and that's fine. But like I said, this movie couldn't be made the same way uh, today. That's 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 genius. It was well ahead of like the found footage type of movies. It was well ahead of marketing itself as a, a film based on actual events or being a docudrama. Um, is this movie had been made off of mostly rented equipment and in an attempt to limit costs for the renting of the equipment, Toby Hooper insisted on shooting seven days a week 
um, most like the shortest days they would do would be like 16 hours in the summer of 73 in central texas is like historically one hot. of the hottest yeah. yeah and it's super humid and you can see all of the actors throughout this entire film they're sweating so Whoa. profusely and like um they're in these shitty locations like that van in the house. These places don't have great ventilation. They don't have AC. And it is strewn about with, strewn about with uh, literal and real, like, scraps and bits from Slaughterhouse not far down. Like, this is a festering cesspool of actual animal blood and parts. Okay. This, hold on. No. Because this movie was made, like I said, in, in like a fever pitch. And they didn't have additional backups of the wardrobes this and and they they refused to wash the clothes toby hooper said like they can't wash the clothes because they were dyed yeah they didn't want them to lose their color and appear like you know discontinuous through with the film so these people are working 16 hour days in sweaty hot unventilated festering rotting blood-soaked clothes they are losing their fucking minds from heat exhaustion, from being overworked. Asphyxiation. No, yeah, from asphyxiation. You, uh, so, I'm sorry, what is what is the actor's name that plays uh, Grandpa? John Duggan. He's so, 18 years old. His makeup took eight plus hours to apply. So in order to get that final scene, Toby Hooper, in an attempt to avoid the shenanigans going along and the costs going along with his makeup preparation, insisted that, that ent- all of his parts be filmed continuously that last scene of dinner was part of a 26 hour long fucking film day i saw that it was that it was him that was like was so sick of how long it took to put on the makeup that he like refused anything else he was like i did not like all the time it took to put that makeup on like you have to film all of my scenes like at once the, the because of the heat, the fake blood wasn't sticking to Marilyn Burns' hands, so they actually cut her with a straight razor on her finger. That's a real wound that they cut that young woman when she was bleeding in her mouth. They used a real hammer because they couldn't afford a rubber prop hammer in that scene where she's getting hit in the head. She's running around in the dark, tired. Everybody apparently really actually hated uh, Paul. What's his name? Partland. Who yeah, played he played Franklin. Franklin. Uh-huh. And like the cast did not soci- associate with each other or socialize with each other off of screen. They were going insane. Those screams are real. They're cathartic. They are tortured wailings of a real-life banshee. There were crew members um, that passed out and became ill from the dinner scene, from being in there with... Um, like the rotting meat and like all the dead animals and stuff because they were in there for so long. It was like 115 degrees. And there is a commentary version that I'm so bad with names. Gunnar Hansen, is that mm-hmm. you? Um, in one of the commentary things, he says like in one of those um, like dinner scenes when he's grabbing Mary, he says that like for a couple seconds, he really wanted to kill her because like she was so loud and they were all going crazy like in the heat with the smell and no one talked to him at all because he's in his clothes that stinks so bad that no one talks to him that he talks about how he really wanted to fucking murder her 
Yes, this this their this emotion is like in real this is terror so going on in this good. scene. That's why I love it so much. And and I think that the film doesn't need all of the on-screen violence. Like, sure, you get the meat hook scene, which is like you miss most of that. You get the blunt force trauma with the sledge and the metal door, which is one of the, my favorite scenes in movie history. I, I don't mean, you don't even you don't even need the on-screen violence if you do everything else so well. Like, sure, you don't get the full impact of the hammer hitting his head but like you when he's laying it. there and the convulsions and the sound and that door uh-huh. Uh-huh. fuck it's so goddamn good also another quick fun fact toby hooper did the sound editing and the score for this movie yeah it's genius all of the sound from the lack of sound to the present sound whether it's the shuddering of the camera yeah there's like no score it's all like machinery and it's like kind of david lynchian noise when they first run up to the house uh kirk and pam and Uh and you hear the generator humming the fucking film is called the texas chainsaw massacre and he goes and it's just teasing you because we haven't seen a chainsaw (laughs) we haven't seen a kill we haven't seen any blood we haven't seen anything outside i guess the hitchhiker scene but like you're like as a viewer a first-time viewer you're like oh fuck that's a chainsaw uh-huh. Someone's about to get their blood and guts strewn all about this fucking farmhouse. Well, but not because you don't see that. And it's a generator, though. And it's, and it's so genius. And then, like, the next three scenes of that house is you just get that generator hum. You get fucking uh, Jerry going up and that generator still humming. And you're like, what do they need this fucking generator for? Like, what is going on? Well, it's freezers full of teenagers. Also, that's another thing is, like, you want to call, like, uh, Man, this movie is the reason why all of these tropes exist. There wasn't a, right. a horror like bodies film. and freezers. Yeah, there wasn't a horror film that was centered around like young adults or like teenagers yet in this. It was all like, you know, virgins in like gothic like Middle Europe or um, old men and old women like being preyed on by like the youthful seductive vampire and shit like this. It's like these are five friends who are fresh out of high school, maybe in college, fresh out of college, wherever you want to place them. And they are just so vulnerable and naive to the world. They're on this hippie Saturn and well, retrograde I mean, bullshit. Four of them just walk into a farmhouse. And the other rolls right behind them. Yeah. No, no I, I, I agree with you that the heat alone, having grown up and worked high school jobs in Central Texas in August, I believe this takes place August 18th, 1973, mm-hmm. is the hottest month of the year. It's gross. Yeah. And they're close enough, because I, I actually looked up where this takes place. It, it says it's near Round Rock, but it's in Kingsland, which is pretty near a lake. So it's probably humid as all fuck. And oh, you can see it. You can see mm-hmm. it. Everyone's wearing denim chambray shirts. Like the, Again, there's no AC out there. They've been, whatever, driving in a van with five other people for who knows how long. Mm-hmm. Um, and also them, uh, uh, Sally, running through the dark and everything. And you see this at the beginning outside of the house, which... You guys might not have noticed because you're not from Texas, but it's mesquite trees. And mesquite trees have really big thorns. We're talking yeah. inch and a half to two inch long, thick she, thorns. She they are nasty. She gets fucked she up. Yes. Yeah, like yeah. a lot of that blood that you see on her and her shirt is her blood. <laughs> um, and mesquite trees also, because animals tend to eat the, uh, the, the pods, the bean pods that grow on them, um, and their puncture wounds, people tend to get infections from puncture wounds from mesquite trees and they're low to the ground and their branches tend to spread out so i know you're familiar with like blackberry brambles but multiply that the length of those those spear those spears those thorns by by an inch or two and like running through that underbrush is horrifying 
even just climbing over a little bit of it from personal experience is extremely painful and you better be wearing thick pants and boots and have gloves on and all which that. Which she was not. Which she was it's not. Like Daisy Dukes. And I agree with you that this is a a trailblazing, you know, th- this established tropes that are still used today and are iconic and that's all well and good and all the um uh, the little stats you've got about the uh, the heat and them hating each other and when to kill each other and the low budget and having to use real hammers and all that that's that's cool that's a nice aside. No, but However, it creates an atmosphere that is palpable. Like you can feel her anguish when she is screaming. The last fifteen minutes of this fucking movie, yeah, she's it's just her screaming. screaming. I'm aware, and it is painful. Mm, and it like, is painful to watch. Okay, yes. and see, and like this is the difference between the type of horror you appreciate and the type of horror I appreciate. That's what I want. I I I agree with you. That, that those, is what I fucking the want. screams were were felt the most real, and I also love the scene where he gets clocked in the head and his feet are shaking before yeah. he drags it. Like that was good. I like that. There are parts of this film that I liked a lot, um, and I and I really enjoyed honestly the kind of. I don't know about slow burn, but sort of the buildup before the first kill at like minute 35. It's an exercise in tension. Um, however, much like a lot of these older films that ended up establishing tropes and were like kind of the first on the scene for American horror, uh, for me personally, they don't hold up. And they are interesting in a historical aspect. But as far as pleasurable watching... It just doesn't. It doesn't check all my boxes. I'm not saying it's a bad film. I get film, that. I get And I'm that. not saying you're wrong. And, I just and also, with it, both I of you guys. Yeah. How many times have you watched this movie? I've definitely seen this movie on a the conservative score? side. One score. Yeah. One on, score in seven. On the conservative <laughs> side, I've seen this movie plus a dozen. Okay, Bill. I've probably seen it like at least six or seven times. Okay, so clearly you enjoy this film. Way before we picked this for the podcast. Oh yeah. You, you guys is, knew you liked this film. This is one of my all-time favorites. I know. Pretty much exactly what is going to happen the whole time, and I still f- feel as unsettled as my first time every time. Like it has that yeah. charm for me, which I think is special. And it sounds like it's kind of like I agree. And the for a movie that lacks too. so much on-screen violence, like yes. this, fucking disturbs me. Like I wrote, um, like off-screen violence done right, because most of the time I'll be complaining on these podcasts about off-screen violence because I hate it. Like I want to see it. But like the sounds and like the convulsions and stuff, like it's, it's done like Reservoir well Dogs esque. Like you feel like you watch that ear get sawed off, but you see nothing. Like even when I know right. you don't see it on screen, and when I watch it in real time, and immediately afterwards, I was like, and it's because oh, it's so they, brutal. Um, like I feel like the like emotions and stuff of the actors too, because the there is actors. a lot of shit going on in that, which we won't get into it in Reservoir Dogs, but. Um, whatever mr whatever there uh, well, there's a line cut from that movie because he says something about kids and the, the cop starts crying because like he has kids and they had to stop the scene and redo it without him Wait, improvising what, what that line the cop that he's cutting off his ear in reservoir dogs oh <laughs> you're talking about this movie no sorry that's like, why we're like, not cop? gonna get on this for a oh, long time okay but it's like the same kind of thing is that you can like in that scene especially like knowing that it makes it okay you know more clearly you guys are super gay for this movie that's great one problem um, among many that I have with this is all the scenes that were one on one with Sally and Franklin felt the dialogue their their kind of approach felt like they'd reverted to like ten or twelve year olds and they were kids again, which might be kind of cool in a certain way, but it it was jarring to me and it felt weird. Their their dialogue was kind of strange. I will I will the go characters with you are on not strong. That, um, 
And I mean, Nat and like what he said, like part of that is that literally nobody fucking liked, um, God, I can't remember his name again, but the guy that played Franklin, which I mean, it turns out that he was like, wanted to be a method actor. So he stayed in character the whole time. So he was like annoying (laughs) the whole time. Um, but yeah, those, yeah, their, their conversations did feel very forced, but I mean, yeah, like, like, like said, specifically, like the flashlight scene the f- oh. is like notable um, or, in all like recounts bec- or accounts because um, I guess that that was at the height of their disdain for each other. Apparently, nobody had bigger issues between each other than Marilyn Burns and Paul Partain and, and, yeah. the, and the shooting. Like they hated each other, and part of that does add to the movie a little bit. But also, I think part of it is obnoxious as a viewer, and like I just said the characters are not very well developed and they're not very strong characters. Nobody outside of like Leatherface will have a long lasting um, imprint on cinema outside of the genre. Yeah, um, I mean, but I think the acting within those characters, specifically Marilyn Burns, dude, she was awesome in this movie. And I think she got, I think it was $700 she was paid. Yeah. Um, she was a big theater geek at, uh, I believe she went to University of Texas as well. Most of the cast did. Um, and I guess she was like pretty savvy and like finding her way into like smaller social circles. I guess she was a waitress at the country club where, um, one of the financial benefactors of this film, um, would frequent with his, you know, company and um, she actually talked her way into being suggested as the female lead in this movie. Um, and How about un- who you know? And unfortunately, um, most of this cast, um, they were pretty much like all blackballed from Hollywood because like this film was not very popular when it came out. And obviously, like big budget Hollywood production companies would take a look at the resume and dismiss anybody who'd been associated with it because this was... I mean, this was a disturbing film then. It's still a disturbing mm-hmm. film to me now, but also mm-hmm. people really didn't respect Chainsaw at Pe- all. People didn't respect horror for a long time. E- even the yeah. like big name stuff, maybe Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, this is still know. years before uh, Halloween. Uh, and, agreed. You know, and Halloween was actually the, the independent film that broke this film's uh, gross record. Um, for a non-major production. So, like, even, like, Halloween wasn't made by, like, New no. Line Cinema at the time it no. came out or, you know, 21st century. But but even, I mean, even before those, like, and even after that, horror as a genre was always kind of seen as, like, I don't know, way to get, like, butts in seats. It wasn't considered art. Yeah. I so, mean, it's yeah. always been highly profitable because it usually PG-13. isn't where any, and people don't have, like, big names typically when they go into horror, and it wasn't really until, like, the early and mid nineties that that kind of started to change, you know, and like we owe a lot to scream and, you know, I know what you did last summer in movies mm-hmm. like that, um, that kind of that nineties new wave slasher resurgence. Um, and I mean, a lot of that was headlined by guys like Wes Craven and stuff because of what they did in the eighties with nightmare on Elm street, mm-hmm. um, whatever. But I mean, that's a whole nother tangent. Um, and this movie is still, you know, a decade and a half before that, you know, another trope that this movie invents, this is speaking about Marilyn Burns. This is the inception of the final girl. I, I was gonna say, I, oh, yeah. I, I, the, her four friends are killed in about twenty-five minutes. 
right? From, from like minute 35 is when um, I believe uh, Kirk Kirk got, Kirk is killed, and then minute like 54 or or 63 is when she's like running away and everyone else has been offed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, again, man, like I don't need a ton of gore, and I understand that it was a low budget and he was trying to get that PG rating. And all of that, I I understand that. I'm not trying to to say it needs to be something that it's not. But if there had been a few more, like not even close-ups, just a little more, like not from shooting from behind somebody getting slashed, or right. um, you know when he's impaling Franklin with a chainsaw, like you you see the chainsaw like like coming in, but you don't actually see any viscera or anything like that. And it, if it just had a, a touch more of that, I feel like this really, I really would have enjoyed this film more. Oh, man, they made that movie in 2003 starring Jessica Biel. It's Didn't called Texas it. Chainsaw Massacre, and it's a fun watch, but like it lacks all of the raw emotion and all of what makes this movie great. And I like the remake. I do. I like, yeah, I do as well. And, and I like Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. My man, that I might even like that more than this movie, but it's a completely different thing. It's exactly it's a yeah. completely different thing, and we'll eventually expose you to that too. Because Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, I think that you will enjoy more than this. I can almost confidently say, just based gore. on how you feel about this movie, Texas Chainsaw Massacre two is way much more up your alley. The only people who come back, it is written and directed by Toby Hooper, and then Jim Cedow, the cook, is also in that. Okay. Uh, and then you also get Bill Mosley as Chop Top, who I l- I'm a huge Bill Mosley fan. So Jerry, like, right? The the like super seventies the driver. Yeah. Does he not look like if Steve Gutenberg was in Boogie Nights? <laughs> some and, of these, and, like you draw and, some of these parallels that I would never. They're think on point, of, right? They're perfect. They're what perfect. about well, okay? What about um, Franklin? Does he not look like kind of like a great value brand Belushi brother? I can see that. Yeah, he's got kind of thick I, eyebrows. I, that's but one that I that I thought before. So I think I had one other one too. Yeah, his hair too. Uh, just his general build. And just, his, yeah, I would call it his gait, but I don't think he, he really demonstrates a, well, that. Not really. <laughs> um, the oh man. Also, I and I understand they're doing barbecue right in a <laughs> chimney in a gas station. What? She's 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 tied up and she looks across and there's a chimney with like sausages and human meat hanging down in a gas station. What is that? Exactly. I mean, these are simple people. They're people of the land. You know, the common clay of the New West. Morons. That's uh Blazing Silence. Yes. I was gonna struggle did, with that, thank you. Did you like when the hitchhiker got ran over? <laughs> Um, I actually I did. That was probably the best kill in the movie for me. Yeah. Aside from um, the, the bludgeoning, first, the bludgeoning the, when yeah. he gets dragged before the door gets shut. Yeah. Which was uh, I I I don't really understand why there was a chrome door in the middle of that building. Oh, it's um, perfect. Cro- hashtag chrome door. Hashtag chrome door. Hashtag chrome door. But also, if I'm not that mistaken, had to be a hot ass chrome door too. Well, no, it was what's hotter, it was the chrome inside. door in Death Spot? Death Spot. It was the front spot. door. Death Come spot. on, yeah, yeah, <laughs> infinitely yeah. hotter. Yeah. By I, by by ten ten thousand Kelvin. Kelvin. By 10 Kelvin. Yes, ten thousand Kelvin. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, the door makes more sense in in the later in Texas Chainsaw well, make Two less or the remakes. Well. <laughs> <laughs> also, I, and I, he shoves her in a refrigerator, 
and I like that she kind of comes back out of it and everything. But how much? How, how many minutes air do you think is in that refrigerator? I don't know. Not very much. Probably not much. She should but be dead. people, uh, there is a fan theory um, that she was like there was a, a fan lo- in the refrigerator yeah. bringing it outside. That there. they were actually not, but nobody was hot. They had fans everywhere. Fans no, everywhere. that she she just um, climbed in there to cool off. <laughs> No, that she gets out of the freezer and actually survives, which I obviously mm. I'm, I don't like that because any kind of no. happy ending, I don't like that. But that is like a thing. Um, also, and I, and I understand that they're, they're, they did use like actual dead animals and the stench was disgusting. Yeah, they got them from a, a, not important, but they got all that from like a nearby vet and then they did not know what to do with all the corpses, so they burnt them. They just burned them. And, and uh, it, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Greeley, but I've li- I lived I have, there for yeah. a few years, and and even near a slaughterhouse is very stinky. So driving past one is is oh, yeah. really like like vomit inducing. Elmer, don't come um, try to find us now that you know the proximity. Well, uh, we I, don't need any crazy <laughs> fans. We don't. I don't know. Please That'd no. be a good documentary. It'd be a good documentary. When we blow up, death. And when we blow up, and then like one of us gets murdered by an Elmer, like I don't know. I've sure always whenever I good, look at, at Rob, I kind of see like a young Selena. Gomez? Selena Gomez? <laughs> no. <laughs> what? I mean, I don't quite have the pipes, but I definitely have the hips. They don't lie. They do. Well, they that's do not, not Selena, but yeah, they don't lie. <laughs> um, but what I was going to say is that I, I get that all of that, but a, a lot of the like bone sculptures and like the weird wind chimes and like they're all animal bones, and there's a bunch of just human skulls kind of thrown in, and an entire carpet of chicken feathers, which well, I and a, and a real chicken and a real chicken and in a, chicken a very bone. tiny cage. Why are the chickens in the cage? Doesn't matter. That's one of the most disturbing it's parts of the movie, honestly. Honestly, I, I did make notes yeah, about. Yeah, I think so. It's fucking weird. I don't like it. This, I no, I agree. Not just the chicken in particular, but um, one of, another reason why I love this movie is everything is so gross. Like it doesn't. The violence does not have to be the grossest thing in the movie. Like the whole house. Like I. I'm just looking around, and maybe that's just me because I do. I'm like relatively. I'm a clean guy. Like it doesn't really come off like that. But just how filthy <laughs> everything, how fucking yeah, filthy fuck? everything is. And I mean, I immediately thought, which I read that Toby like um, had this influence, which I liked. Was I mean, it looked like, um, or no, the other way around. It, Buffalo Bill it looks like fucking Buffalo Bill's house. Would the you house. fuck me? I'd fuck me. <laughs> But like you know what I mean, like everything in there is so disgusting. And like when she falls on that ground with all the, like that's probably the nastiest part of the movie. When she's like screaming and breathing in, I'm like, oh my god, I don't want any of those feathers to go. Oh, she definitely got the virus from that. Like there's enough mouse turds over there. Like she's dead in ten years. Exactly. Like you know that's real ass feathers and and well shit because they couldn't afford the to build thing. a real set so they just found a dilapidated house that's why i'm saying that I mean, it was a the five figure of this movies were its strength the fact that they couldn't afford yeah. shit and that they filmed so long it was that's why this film just is perfect yeah, no i agree like you can't yeah like cameras and everything are too did you good now that did you, <laughs> you like uh, make it with the same feel the uh the emo band pig squeals that was going on there i like any any emo band pig whatever yes i like yeah it. The, the leather face is kind of like he doesn't say anything but he definitely has some sort of like squealy i don't know yeah and, well and, i mean and we, he puts on a sport jacket to run out in the dawn doesn't is he wearing that at the dinner 
Is he wearing the sport jacket? The jacket, I believe so, isn't he? I don't Didn't know if he say, is. Isn't he's... that how you said he looked like a bus driver? Well, no, no, because he's wearing the short sleeve shirt and the tie. But he puts on like a suit jacket before he chases her out in the dawn in the well, final scene. He must look nice if anyone sees her. Well, for dinner probably, but I don't remember if he put it on for dinner or if he, he like d- he's wearing it. Or he, or, he, or he grabbed it. Yeah. He okay. It yeah, you're right. Scene. You're right. And then I understand that like. Um, John Wayne Gacy was after this film happened, but definitely the makeup on the mask is reminiscent of that, maybe prescient about it. Yeah. Kind of the deadly killer clown sort of thing. Um, oh, man, it's... But but I, I it's knew... It's the film that started it all. I, I knew before watching this film that you guys were both big fans, mm-hmm. and um, I wanted to like this film, and I don't hate it, but I wasn't that crazy about it. Well, I mean, to me... I am crazy about this film, and I was worried that I would be possibly let down because I know how fondly I have viewed this movie uh, my entire life up to this moment, up until we just rewatched it. And um, I honestly was preparing myself to have my expectations not quite met. And, um, man... I was so wrong because I probably haven't seen this movie in like eight years also, despite having seen it. I'm not exaggerating when I say like 15 to 20 times. Um, I thought maybe it had lost its shine or it didn't age well or like maybe I was just fascinated with it when I was younger because of its hype or because of my limited exposure at the time. This movie exceeds my expectations, even how high and elevated they were. I, Man. I was raving about this movie all after I finished it. I was talking uh, to my partner and just saying, this is a masterpiece. Are you ready to score it? You got any, either of you guys got yeah, any we final can, thoughts? I got a couple yeah, we can get to thoughts. it. Yeah, go ahead. Um, just an, a fun fact, and I want you guys just to digest this, if you will. Uh, this movie started out, um, it was written, obviously, by Toby Hooper and Kim Hinkle, who had uh, met on an earlier project. Uh, it was actually Toby Hooper's first film called Eggshells. They met on that, and they decided to write a horror project together. And uh, even before they had decided to write a horror project, they um, kind of had an outline of what they wanted to do. And uh, this film was, um, the screenplay at least, was written as like an adaptation and a head nod to uh, Hansel and Gretel. That's That was their starting point, Hansel and Gretel. Huh. If okay. you think about it, it lines up yeah, quite well. Kind of, yeah. This film is Hansel and Gretel. That's fun to me. The grim fairy tales are not happy. They're pretty grim. <laughs> <laughs> even even Han Christian Andersen's stuff is not as like sweet and saccharine as Disney remade them into. Or even Han Zimmer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so this movie, for me, um, it does it all. This movie literally does everything for me as a horror fan, what I want to see in movies. And uh, make no muss or fuss about it. Horror is my favorite genre of movie. My favorite films are horror films. And don't get me wrong, I love City of God, American Beauty, Godfather. It's a short list of some of my other... Cop and a Half. So a short list of some of my other favorite movies um, of all time. But, man... I'll be damned if this isn't right up there, and I think that it is a masterpiece. I think that it's shot amazingly well. I think that it is edited incredible, inc- incredibly well. I think that it has some 
amazing performances and some beautiful cinematography but it also what it lacks like i said is really where it shines um yes i know some of the characters are weak yes i know there's not a lot of development there i do not give a fuck about pam or jerry or kirk and i'm there they exist to die and that is fine with me this is why i watch these movies this is what i want this is a absolute masterpiece i adore this movie i'm gonna watch it another 20 to 30 times before I die, uh, probably more than that. This is this fucking citizen. So you die next of, year. This is the citizen cane of horror movies. A ninety-eight out of a hundred. And the only reason it's not getting a hundred is because I like to believe that there is a possibility that something will be fucking better. But I will not hold my breath. This is, this, could be the last episode of the podcast for the last. For as far as I'm fucking <laughs> concerned, this is a fucking masterpiece. Love it. Alrighty. Um. Yeah. I mean. Um, I've seen this a bunch too. I mean, this is this is no surprise. We've talked about it before that this is also one of my um, favorite all-time movies, one of my favorite all-time horror. I still stand by that. I think the dinner scene um, is one of the best scenes in anything ever. Um, I was thinking 92. Okay. Um, yeah, no, it's no surprise that I wasn't crazy about this flick. Uh, I feel like it is it is required watching not only because it's so iconic but because it's not a bad horror movie and it's it's got a lot of strong points the cinematography I think is is by far the strongest part of this film it was surprising how how good this how good it was how how varied the camera shots were for Mm -hmm. basically 88 minutes of I don't know. The, again, there's the, the, all the kills happen within a 20, 30, 25 minute span. Yeah. Um, you got the final girl stuff. You've got the very realistic screams. Everybody hated each other. Um, but much like head cheese, it sounds grosser than it is. It's not for everybody. And once having had it, I just, it's just not for me. Um, I think this is probably a five out of 10. I would, I would watch this again. With people who hadn't seen it before, right? Um, but I don't think I would pick this out of a hat to rewatch anytime soon. It was kind of a letdown, given how much it's been built up, not only in the sort of collective consciousness of horror film, but but you two both singing its praises. And I don't think you're wrong or offbeat or anything like that. I think this is very much a taste issue, and um, it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. So, yeah, this is kind of a weak five out of ten for me. Fair enough. A week, five out of ten. Imagine how that fucking sausage tasted in fucking uh, Franklin's Salty. mouth for like, fuck, what felt like twenty minutes. <laughs> Easily, probably around he, twenty minutes. I like that he only spits it out because he's trying to get over the hump because everyone forgot the invalid brother out in the van while they're like exploring this dilapidated house with disgusting, you know, rotting uh, wood and and there's like a conversation about the wallpaper for some reason. It doesn't matter. Um, this is not a bad film, but this is not. It does not hold up to modern film, in my opinion. And, um, yeah, agree to disagree. I mean, it's fine. It definitely comes down to a preference of flavor. Um, but despite all that, this is an incredibly successful movie. It's a 140K budget versus its $31 million generated at the box office. It's a movie that continues to play in uh, on the big screen in Grindhouse and Drive-Ins. It's a movie that, I mean, it's... As we record this, it's September 17th. This bad boy is going to be hitting a theater near you in the following month from the time that this is being recorded. I promise you it's going to be on no less than 100 screens in this country and more around the world. Uh, And I will absolutely go with you if Rob does not want to. I think this would be really fun to see in theaters. Oh, absolutely. 
Um, and I'm down for that. Pretty much anytime you suggest watching this movie, I'm yeah. in. I just... <sighs> yeah, if you want to watch a 50-year-old slasher with no gore, then check this movie out. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. Dude. Our Elmers are much smarter than that, Rob. Our Elmer. I'm sure. Our Elmer doesn't love this movie. <laughs> I wonder why. He prefers the remake. Oh, does he? It's what he said. I mm. think he was just trying to get my goat. Mm. I don't know. It sounds like he's the kind remake, of got a finger on pulse. Remake, doesn't it have Trey songs in it? Yes. <laughs> Who's that? Exactly. He's like an R&B. He says it's got of... Jessica Biel in it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She's... That's everything I need to know about the film. Yeah. If you knew who Trey songs were, it would be That would be everything you needed to know about the movie. <laughs> um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake is actually pretty good, and I think that there is some good acting in that as well. Um I don't know. Nobody else is really in this movie. I'm trying to look at. So, oh, Eric Balfour's in it. He's uh, in other things too. Nobody um, cares. I mean, real quick, we do we do <laughs> like to. Uh, he's, mean, the, he's, been an actor. he's he's in Buffy the Vampire Slayer for okay. a couple episodes. Mm-hmm. He's in uh, Six Feet Under. Um, he's actually like one of the main characters in the first couple seasons. Uh, he's been in a lot of television. I can't even really recall most of it. Well, for mentioning other credits, um, Ed Nealon, who played the hitchhiker, and um, Gunnar Hansen, who played the Leatherface, are both in Murder Set Pieces, which is like a 2003 shock film that is not a good movie by any means, but if you often Google the most disturbing movies of all time, like I do, it's on a lot of those lists, so I shifted it in there, but I thought... That was kind of interesting. So, uh, I did notice one other film that Toby Hooper did that Poltergeist. We... Yes, but one <laughs> other one. Spoiler. <laughs> no, that's it. That I th- that I'm pretty sure was him. Um, maybe maybe you should Google this and and make sure I'm not full of shit. But uh, that I think we might watch for the pod. Maybe we'll see. Uh, and it's a very odd movie and not particularly great, but kind of unique. Is called Life Force. Yeah, he did Life Force. Yeah. And have you seen it? I haven't. No. Have you seen Life Force? I have not. No. Oh, it's it's kind of a weird alien vampire. It's. I'm sure we'll watch it. They're for not. The they're not pod. actually vampires. <laughs> it's vampires in the most like Vegas sense. So that qualifies for you. Yeah, it does. Um, Patrick Stewart's in that. Yeah. Yes, he is. It's it's odd and it's sexy, and the lead was literally like a um uh, a model, like a French model. I think she's like 19 or 20. She's gorgeous, and there's a ton of nudity in the movie. Almost, ex- almost excessively so, uh, and she's the main focus of it. But it, it, it's very odd, and uh, mm-hmm. and I think it it be it, it it would provide a lot of banter. Well, you know, I'm down. Toby Hooper uh, was so horribly mistreated uh, by Hollywood. He's made two uh two hundred million dollar grossing films, and the dude could never find work. I mean, he. Uh, did Poltergeist, and he was cannibalized in his efforts there by the rumors that there was actually ghost-directed by Steven Spielberg. And Spielberg has even come out and said that that's not accurate. But, I mean, he... It's the highest-grossing film of all time for horror, right? Poltergeist? Poltergeist? Mm-hmm. Um, with, like, re- like, like not, not from the original, but, like, over time, like, as far... And with uh, inflation accounted in the 70s, like, I believe it's the highest-grossing horror film of all highest time. Highest-grossing or highest-earning? Yes. I'm not sure because I believe the highest earning <laughs> film uh, in horror. Yeah, there's. Because gro- gross would be before 
costs, basically. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. like, I think the highest grossing uh, horror film of all time Paranormal. is Paranormal Activity. Because yeah. it was so low budget, too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but Poltergeist might be um, I think so, man. the highest grossing uh, now, movie. if you guys want to watch that in theaters, I'm totally down. Yeah, man, that's such that a good one. He also did um, Salem's Lot, the miniseries, which is really good. Love me, Salem's Lot. Yeah, yeah. Vampires, Stephen King. Um, he did Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which is a masterpiece as well in the genre for a completely different reason. It couldn't be more different than Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1, and I recommend anybody who hasn't seen it, go out and watch it. it and like, if you do, please enter it with an open mind because it is very much not a sequel to this movie. It yeah. is a comedy. It is over the top. It is tongue-in-cheek. It is camp. It Love is... It. It, I, I really do think that... I know you don't really get my taste, but that's definitely up my alley. Oh, I'm saying that you'll like that movie more than you liked this movie. (laughs) 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 Um, He did Body Bags. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Body Bags. No. No. That was a uh, made-for-TV movie. Um, It was a three-part anthology uh, with the other segments being done by John Carpenter. Um, and Body Bags is a lot of fun. It's hosted. John Carpenter has an acting role in it. He plays oh. like a mortician. What's his name? Uh, Stacy Keach is in it. Uh, Rick Moranis is in it. <laughs> Tom Arnold, Robert Carradine. Damn. Um, dude, this is fun. Uh, Wes Craven, Sam Raimi make Ramey? appearances. What? Yeah. Your boy Buck Flower is Buck in it. Flower. Buck Flower. <laughs> Buck Flower is in it. Um, I watched this one last year. Um, for my 31 Days of Horror. Um, but by the way. Elmer's keeping an ear out because we will be doing a uh, a special. Probably we'll probably release it on Halloween or you know maybe November first or something to. like that. We're gonna do a 31 days of horror blitz. We're gonna blitz Creek. we're gonna do 31 movie reviews and we're gonna in say about an hour, yeah. yeah an hour and two minutes. We're gonna try to keep it to an hour and two minutes and uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun for probably nobody, but we're gonna <laughs> <For> do <us>. it. <laughs> Um, Okay, so in addition to the body bags, he did the Mangler, which is a fun uh, slasher, um, and then he did a couple others. But, yeah, Toby Hooper is super, super mistreated. Mm. We are um, starting to drag on a little bit. Rob, do you want to tell us what we're watching next week, if you know? I do. um, Actually, it's between two Lance Henriksen films, and I decided to go with the stronger one, mostly because you picked an older flick, and I feel like it's only a matter of time before we watch this one. So next week we'll be... Alien. Yes. Nice. That's good. We're uh, nice. Which might we got be some heavy hitters. This might be one of those ones that we all disagree with because it's good. Yeah, because it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll find some I'll shit really I hate. About oh, please it, yeah. do. Please do. I'll try. It might be difficult. It's Because it, I love that movie. but It's it's a great film. It's not just a good horror film. It's a great film. It's got great practical effects. Um, it's got a great female lead. There's, there's a lot to love. Um, so please. Right on. It's been a few years, be too. critical. It's been longer since I've seen Alien since Texas Chainsaw. So okay. Me, so. I probably and haven't seen Alien in like 20 years. Oh, Jesus. Uh, maybe only seen Alien like I've twice. I haven't I, seen it in like two years. I haven't watched it like 20 times like you've watched this piece of shit. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but <laughs> I feel like it Gosh. stands up. It stands up to to modern film, and it'll be interesting to rewatch it because I feel like ever since we started doing this podcast, and maybe this is my own brain being weird, I feel like I've become more critical, and maybe that's good, maybe that's bad, maybe that is what it is. But since there's a purpose for watching these films, I feel like it's important for us to. You might nickpick something that you wouldn't have before, exactly. Ian that Holmes you now notice or whatever. 
I do yeah, not, not remember that at all. I'm not super familiar with the cast, but... Uh, Ian Holm plays uh, Bilbo in Lord of the Rings. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's like you say an alien. It's like, I don't remember the Bilbo character. <laughs> we should do Lord of the Rings. Watch along. should the extended. Do, but not The Hobbit, because we won't speak of it. Um, but <laughs> definitely the Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, fantastic. Um, so yeah, thanks, Elmers. Um, watch yeah. this movie. Don't watch this movie. Tell us what you think. No, and watch this. Watch this movie, for sure. Yeah, yeah if you're a fan of the genre, do your it. fucking homework. Do your due Did diligence. You just real quick, educate d- yourself. Yes or no answer. That's all you get to say. Yes or no. Uh, was this better than Human Centipede? Yes. All right. I just was curious. All right. Human Centipede was hot garbage. <laughs> It was fucking real hot. It's right. terrible. Mm. Don't yeah. get me going again. This movie All right. was surprisingly sexy too. I don't remember how sexy I it was. I forgot about the back shots. Oh my gosh! Um, not what? Not what Lots you're of thinking. Butt shots too. Like, <laughs> so like gratuitous the, booty shorts. Yeah, Lots the yellowish. I think yellow Daisy Dukes, and she had red, that shirt on that Daisy from Dukes. the back. It looked like yes. Um, her titties might be out. Well, also no one's wearing a bra. No, it's the 70s. Didn't notice that. Sa- Sally is definitely not that? wearing a bra. I didn't, that. didn't like, notice that. Blue, like, whatever, strap shirt, the oh, yeah. A-shirt, whatever she's wearing. Didn't notice that. Okay, well, they're perky, so you might check it out again. Didn't do anything for me, but, you know, I noticed it. Did a little bit for me. I noticed it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank All right, you, Elmers. <laughs> Have a good night. Thank we'll you. catch you next week. Next week. Next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.